everyone. I'm Marley Curtis from Roads Australia, and I'm excited to welcome you to another RA podcast focused on enhancing diversity and inclusion across our industry. Today's episode actually follows on from a great webinar we held with Libby Lyons, former CEO of the Workplace Gender Equality Agency, in late 2020, exploring flexible working in a post-COVID world. Today, we want to draw out some key themes raised during that conversation, and particularly around the important role that men can play in promoting flexible work and how we bring more flexibility to site-based roles. To help facilitate our conversation, I'm joined today by Kelly Maslin. Kelly is the Vice President and Executive Director of Operations Southern at Jacobs and a member of the RA DNI Committee. Kelly, thanks so much for hosting today's podcast. I'll hand over to you to officially welcome our two guests for today, Kahil O'Rourke, Managing Director of Lang O'Rourke, and John Galvin, Executive Vice President of APAC from Clough. Thanks, Marley. Uh, and before we start, I want to highlight some of the confronting statistics that Libby shared with us during the webinar last year. So the most recent data shows that while women make up approximately half of the private sector workforce, women only account for 18% of CEO positions, 28% of director roles and 32% sit in management positions. Within the construction sector, the imbalance is even more pronounced with only approximately 3% female CEOs, 11% in director roles and 15% in key management positions. Just as worrying, while 75% of all employers across all industries have flexible working arrangement policies or strategies in place, only 65% of construction sector employers do. And only 5% of construction sector employers have set specific targets for men's engagement in flexible work. Although that's better than the all-industry rate of 2% that have set targets, there is clearly an enormous amount of room for improvement. And we all know with our industry now delivering some of the biggest infrastructure projects Australia has ever witnessed, we actually need all good hands on deck. So now is the right time for us to collectively be discussing how flexible work can deliver the change we need. Most of you know directions around flexibility come from the top down. And with a large number of men in decision-making roles, it's really important that they play a leadership role in ensuring the availability and use of flexible work practices. More than that, though, they need to set an example by embracing flexible working themselves. Seeing senior executives within an organisation practice what they preach around flexible work is an important aspect of driving cultural change and providing assurance to teams that it's okay to avail themselves of these options. To help us have this conversation today and to reflect on their own experience and approach to these issues, we're excited to be joined by two senior leaders within the construction sector, Kahala Rourke, Managing Director from Lang O'Rourke, and John Galvin, Executive Vice President for APAC for Clough. So Kahal and John, thanks so much for joining us today and taking the time to have this conversation about flexible work. Long work hours and pressure to work a six-day week is often mentioned as being high on the deterrence for women looking to pursue careers in our industry. Regardless of marital status or whether or not you have children, if there is an expectation that you will work those sort of hours, it can have a significant impact on your health and well-being and cause disruption in a variety of ways. Flexible work practices provide an opportunity to alleviate some of this disruption, even when pulling longer hours, and it can be a way to attract women and parents to work in construction and engineering. It's critically important in terms of retaining talent over the long term and preventing burnout and associated issues. 
So I'm going to start by putting the same question to both of you, Kahal and John, but I'll start with you, Kahal. Obviously, when you reach a position of senior executive responsibility, that means working more than a standard 40-hour week. So could you outline for us what a typical working week looks like from your perspective, not just in terms of hours, but also how much of that involves time travelling and being away from home, family and friends? Okay, yeah, thanks for that, Kelly. Yeah, I, I don't know if I could actually say that I have a typical working week. I'd say I probably cycle it more in months and quarters. There's a rhythm that plays out through the month in terms of reporting cycles that probably dictates the uh, the flow of our work and my work particularly. And then obviously there's a, a as a subsidiary of a UK company, there's a level of connectivity that I have to have to group, which means I tend to travel internationally back up to uh, Europe at least three times a year and that tends to be on a quarterly basis and and I guess what I've learned around flex for myself is that it does ebb and flow and I make sure that I am conscious of it and try to make sure that when there are periods where there's intensity I try to balance that out with periods where if I can take a little bit more time I do. Now even myself I leave, lead the business here you still sometimes struggle with that as a uh, as a concept and should you be in places and how does it feel taking that extra few hours in, in the morning uh, where maybe you've had a very late call into the evening with our uh, European colleagues, for example. And it's not easy, but we do it, I do it, and I encourage my team to do it. And the other thing that we try to do is be very visible when we are doing it. So if you're coming back into the office, let's say, at 11 or 12 o'clock in, in the, uh, the, the day, as opposed to a, an 8 o'clock start, then instead of just coming in quietly, make sure we come in and say hello to people. And if they ask, you let them know. Uh, yeah, having a bit of a slow morning this morning. It was a, a lot of work this week and just trying to get that balance. So we really try to have that conversation very openly with the team. Yeah, I think that's really critically important is the visible leadership. I always use the expression leave loudly. If you're leaving for your sporting commitment or you're leaving to pick kids up or to go visit your mum or your dad, then leave loudly so people can see that as an acceptable way to work. So yeah, great, great examples. John, so for you, what what does your typical working week look like and how does that impact in terms of travel, time at work and away from home and family and friends? Not dissimilar to Kahal. I'd probably travel every second week, sort of for three or four days during that week. So we're based in Western Australia. I'll sort of go over and spend a few days on the East Coast visiting a couple of our projects and then a couple of weeks later I'll do the same thing but go and visit our offices in Brisbane and in Sydney. During the week, it tends to be fairly intense, sometimes starting with early morning breakfasts, some of those with the team, which is good, through to similarly, we've got uh, our owners, Murray and Roberts, so South African based. And so we can quite often have quite late sessions with, with the board and so on, talking about business strategy, et cetera. In terms of sort of picking up on the theme, how do I try and balance work and life and spending some time with the family and so on? Very similar example. And, and I guess last night was a, a case in point. Uh, I got back from Sydney, got home at about half past 11. And my, my wife and I have agreed with our youngest daughter different days that we, we will take her to school so that we get to spend that time with her and it's not just uh, Fiona doing it all. 
had the joy of uh, taking Haley to volleyball at 6.30 this morning. And uh, look, it's really, really worth it. it uh, she's very chatty, far more chatty in the morning than she is uh, once she gets home from school. And so we had a really good conversation. And then I went back home and spent the first sort of what would normally be the first three hours of my day in meetings at home with my wife because I've I've travelled a fair bit over the last couple of days. So trying to do those sort of things, be visible to the family, pretty important. Yeah, I love I love your example of taking her to volleyball. My younger son, Seamus, and I, my walking him to school was the best time of the day. I was very deliberate in making sure I could walk Seamus to school because that was when he used to tell me all of his little boy problems and we'd solve the problems <laughs> of the world together. Keen now just to move that a little bit further, uh, I'm interested to hear from both of you. So what are some of the things that you do for yourself personally to stay healthy and well in a really hectic and busy work role? So Kahal, I'll go to you first. Yeah, I think uh, when I reflect back on my my overall career, I, I think I sacrificed a lump of my wellness through my earlier parts of my career where I was just singularly focused on work and the constraints of work. And as I've got a bit older and got maybe a bit wiser, I definitely feel that the real energy and the sustainable energy comes from that balance in terms of having a bit of balance. And what does that mean for me? First and foremost, it means looking after my physical wellness. So I've really benefited from creating structure in the week for myself. So there are three days in the week. I will always go to the gym. And if the diary has to flex so that I can't use one of my usual sessions, I have to build it back in. So a bit of uh, a bit of structure and a bit of discipline. That's really helped because it sets a baseline. And if you're feeling well physically, definitely the mental side plays in. Uh, and then we've used some tools actually provided to us by a, a program that we've worked with in the business, which is actually called the Energy Project. And that gives you tools that you start off with a bit of an audit about where your capacity is, where are you getting energy, where are you losing energy, how do you sit against a multitude of factors, and then you're trying to make conscious decisions to actually support the improvement of that. And that's been a great program that I've used and a number of our team have actually used in the business to really build up their energy, create capacity and and have it as a sustainable point. And again, what's really good is that's a conversation that is in the business. And people, if they see possibly people dropping off in their capacity or performance, they're inquiring, you know, how are you going against that score? Are there areas that you could do differently? And that sort of team encouragement really is adding a lot of value because you're not doing it on your own. You're talking a common language and that's having an uplifting effect across the whole piece. Yeah, I think that's a great example. And I think the the commonality of language helps to make it a safe conversation. I think historically in our industry, people haven't felt safe to talk about it. And I think language and the commonality of language helps to make it safe. John, I'm keen to hear around some of the practices that you've got at Clough to really help and support people uh, engage in flexible work and also be, be able to talk about it. I'll go back to Kahal's comment earlier about visible leadership. So one one of the the great things, certainly I I found it great when I joined the company, is that Clough has its own gym. So here in the office, we, we have our own gym. Similarly, I set aside a minimum of three days a week and make my diary flex um, to allow myself to get down to that gym. It's the one area that... Uh, 
my assistant won't allow anything to come in over the top. Uh, again, very visible about going down there. So it's it's not something that I, I skulk away and, uh, and and go and spend an hour in the gym. It, it's something that people know that I'm going there. You run into other people there. You have good conversations. And, and it really leads to a dialogue within the business and certainly within my team for those that uh, do enjoy the facility and so on. So, well, when was the last time you went? Oh, I've been busy for the last week. You know, I haven't had time. Well, really, you need to make some time. So within our contracts, it's something that I hadn't seen before is a, a health and wellness allowance that the company pays. And, and it's tied into to people going and joining gyms, doing those sort of things to try and really promote that, that health and wellness uh, focus. John, I'm just sitting here thinking if we had a, access to a gym in the office, it might get a little bit competitive. I'm just a little <laughs> bit competitive, but anyway. So let's move on. Obviously, many of our industry's day-to-day activities occur outside a traditional office environment, with on-site work being a central element in the delivery of major infrastructure projects. Clearly, you can't always work from home if that's the type of work you're engaged in. Are you both able to briefly touch on what you've been able to do in terms of a flexible work model for on-site roles? Is it just a matter of flexibility around rostering and start times, or are there other innovations you've been able to put in place? So I'll go to you first, Kahal. Okay, yeah. I think it's a really important conversation for our industry that we don't just have a flex culture sitting in the the head offices. We do remember the people who are out there at that project environment and make sure that that comes in. For me, I think uh, the the start of that, again, starts with visible conversations. I remember going to visit one of our projects recently and asking the question, right, so where's your fake plan? And they said, oh, we've had some conversations. I was like, no, no, but where's the plan? Because if we get the plan down, people will live the plan. What are our, our teams great at doing, executing on the plan and you know, we've got really, really strong performance in that. So I was just encouraging that we get it down and we have the conversation. What we've actually seen following the COVID experience is we, we were actually doing a whole of business encouragement piece to actually try flex and give it a go. The week before, we had to turn the switch and everybody had to get <laughs> to working remotely or stripping back the, the site facilities to a, a lower level. And what it did, it just proved in a very, very short window of time that we can do this. It took away the the myth and the rumour. Now, I know on all of our projects, there were arrangements that were had by different people. So Flex would come in an individual conversation, but it probably wasn't verbalised. It wasn't shown. It wasn't that visible leadership that we're talking about. And by seeing the shift with COVID, the fact that the wheels didn't fall off and everybody could manage and still connect, it's made a really difficult conversation really easy all of a sudden where people can have that conversation. And I'll give you an example. One of our projects, the Central Station project for Sydney Metro here, we've actually dropped back that we've got a policy where 30% of the team from the project team are now working flexibly at any point. Now, what does that mean? That doesn't mean you have to work at home. That could be you've chosen to work somewhere else. You could be in the office, but it's a it's a live conversation. And we're also making sure that we document them to make sure that that flex is registered in the plan and everyone's talking about it. And when it works really well is where the conversation and the communication is high. So we're really making sure that that is front and center. 
and that everybody knows it's available to them. There are a number of people who their version of flex is that they want to come to work every day for a fixed period of time and set hours, that's fine. Others want to move through the day. And it's just having that conversation where they can offer up what they want and uh, it's available to them. But it's got to be done inside of the team and that conversation for it to work is my experience. Yeah, the, the communication's critically important and being able to share what you want to do and how you want to do it and have really fair, open conversations as a team about how that's going to work for the team, I think is really important. Uh, and John, what about your experience and Clough's experience in terms of uh, flexible work in a site context? Look, not surprisingly, not terribly dissimilar to what Kahal was just saying. But perhaps um, I'll, I'll share an, uh, a story to, to highlight the importance of those conversations because one, one thing we've learned, and, and, and it's amazing, very similar sort of timescales, we, we developed some quite robust flexible work arrangement guidelines, um, policies and so on. And I, I think we're probably two weeks out before COVID when we, as an XCOM, endorsed those and, and then exactly the same COVID came in, it forced us in into that place, whether we liked it or not. Uh, and I think that's one of the great things that has come out of COVID, if, if anything great has come out of it. The example that I'm going to share is that there was a lady or is a lady who works for us uh, on our Sydney Energy Connect project. And she rang our head of communications and marketing probably about six months ago. And she said, I just want to share a story with you because you probably won't hear it unless I tell you about it. And she'd actually resigned. And the project director sort of grabbed hold of her, sat down with her and said, look, can, can we talk about why you've resigned? And the reasons were that uh, she and her husband had two young children. Uh, one of those young children had just gone into school, so grade one, and, and anyone that's had kids knows what a hard time that is as you juggle various times of uh, their lives. You know, one, one's got to go to school, one's got to go to preschool. She and her husband had decided that she was going to give up her job because it was all too hard. But between the project director and herself in that conversation, it got to, well, what can we do to keep you here? Uh, oh, well, it'll be quite hard. You, you, you know, I'd have to start late. I'd have to leave early. You know, I'd need this day per week where I'm at home. Anyway, between them, they came up with a plan. They adopted that plan. And when she rang Cynthia, um, our, our head of marketing, she said, I'd actually decided that, you know, my career was at an end, that between myself and my husband, one of us was going to have to sacrifice our career. And now I can see that doesn't need to happen. And I just thought I should share that with you so that uh, you understand that the, the flexible work arrangements that you are offering in Clough is making a difference to your staff. Yeah, it's, that's a, a wonderful story, John, and I've had that experience myself and I've had similar experiences shared with me in a range of different forums over many, many years, but really, really great. One of the things that I've reflected on a lot over the last couple of years, actually, across the Australia and New Zealand infrastructure sector is that if we want all good hands on deck, I'd rather have those good hands 16 hours a week working uh, 12 to 4 
than not having them at all. And so it's in all of our best interests uh, to, to find ways to, to make that work. So really, really wonderful story. Thanks for sharing that. I'm going to ask you both if you can reflect on the benefits you've seen through the uptake of flexible working arrangements in your respective organisations. Are there positive trends emerging in what you're seeing in terms of workforce satisfaction? Uh, and what sort of metrics are you using to track that? Is sick leave down? Are there lower stress levels, higher retention rates and the like? Uh, so I'll, I'll do, go to you first, John, in that one. What, how are you seeing the benefits of flexible working pay out at a, a business level? Looking at the impact of COVID, so prior to COVID, you know, I spoke about that uh, we, we just signed off our flexible working uh, relationships or uh, arrangements for the business. But prior to that, we'd, we'd had some more informal arrangements in place. And one thing that we could never achieve is getting a single male to work flexibly. It was something that we'd been trying. Males just saw it as a, I guess, that uh, if they accepted flexible working, it would be frowned upon, that it would uh, impact on their careers, you know, it would stop their progression. All of the things that women have had to deal with uh, for generations, of course, but men simply really haven't had to think about it before. We, we now have in excess of 50% of our personnel in this office here at the moment working flexibly. We've got, I think the numbers are about 46 men versus 39 women. So it, it's been a radical change in terms of getting that buy-in. And talking to the men, they're finding that spending some more time at home with their kids uh, is adding to quality of life. That in itself, I think, tends to, to keep people and uh, ha have them stay with you longer. Likewise, the women, though, are saying that uh, these arrangements are really adding value to them. We saw during COVID in certain parts of our business, for example, the, the engineering part of our business, productivity actually go up. So, so the outputs from our engineering team during COVID and when more people were working flexibly went up. And have maintained those sort of higher levels of productivity since a number of those people have maintained those flexible work arrangements. In terms of looking at how's that flowing into business outcomes other than productivity, over the past year, we've had a 20% overall reduction in the amount of voluntary turnover in our white collar workforce, which is quite significant. And that trend continues to trend month on month downwards, which is great. Obviously, in an uh, industry where, where the market's getting more and more heated, that's a huge benefit. Likewise, we've seen a similar drop in sick leave, which, which would indicate that people you know, are far more comfortable doing what they're doing. So the trends that we're seeing are good. Um, we're also seeing a trend upwards in terms of attraction of talent, particularly female talent. So in each of our regions in APAC, if, if I look at the, the charts over the last year, in all cases, we, we've got an upward trend in um, the number of women that are, as a percentage of our workforce, working in Clough. Yeah, excellent, John. Thank you. And Kahal, what about from a Langerwalk perspective? Yeah, I think I'd uh, echo what John's been saying. I hear a lot of similar trends in that space. I'll probably go back a little bit further. When we brought in, in our parental leave policy, 
which we uh, we made gender neutral. So, you know, primary carer, whoever that was in our, our family. That was really a, an interesting journey to go on. Some of the early adopters of that, I'd call them the pioneers, they definitely felt a little bit uh, visible, probably very vulnerable. And I don't know if that was a great experience for them, but because they were brave enough to do that now, that's a much more accepted norm inside of our business. And the feedback that we get from the the guys specifically uh, coming back after having a period of parental leave, the connectivity that they have with their family uh, and the experience that they've had there is is absolutely transformational. It's quite a common feature when they come back. They talk about uh, actually trying to come back earlier because it's a, it, it's easier to come to work than to maybe look after a little one, and uh, a, a newfound respect for their uh, for their partner, which are two uh, very very good aspects to come through. And I think that leads to a lot more empathy and awareness, uh, which I think can only be a good thing. In terms of the broader flex in the business, we definitely saw an uptick of how people felt. Our engagement scores actually have gone up through that. And also everyone's awareness of the business's focus on their own well-being. We saw a significant uptick in that where we're at something like 71% of our people recognize that there's an exceptional focus on their well-being and that the business is trying to support them. Now, that doesn't mean we haven't got place to grow and to do more. But it's a good start. And I definitely see the link between the flexible working, the trust and empowerment that's put into people to cover off the work they need to do uh, and how people are feeling about their uh, their lived experience and work with us. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, so I'm going to wrap up there. So John and Carl, thank you so much for participating in our discussion today. Uh, the fact that you've actually both been willing to sit down and talk about flexible work, I will share very personally, uh, is a shift in the industry because two years ago when I've been trying to have this conversation, it was very hard to get men, let alone senior men, engaged in the conversation. So I think the fact that you've both been willing to participate in this conversation today is actually a really powerful thing for our industry. And so I really, I, I want to extend my thanks to you personally and also on behalf of uh, Rhodes Australia and our industry more broadly, because your, your leadership on this topic is really powerful. Uh, so with that, I'm going to hand back to you, Marley. Thank you, Kelly, for facilitating that illuminating conversation. And of course, to Carhill and John for sharing their stories and experience, highlighting how flexible work arrangements can be effective within our industry. I think we all understand that if we're going to attract and retain the best pool of talent going forward, our industry needs to show that it's committed to supporting its workforce and empowering people to be the best that they can be in all facets of their life. As Kelly noted in her comments earlier, it's crucial for those in leadership positions across the industry to lead from the front when it comes to encouraging flexible work. And Rhodes Australia is proud to have been able to bring you two examples today from just two organisations within our members who are doing just that. Of course, there are other examples out there, and Ari is committed to sharing those too. Keep an eye out on our DNI resource library on our website and on future editions of the RA Insider newsletter as we continue to showcase examples of best practice from across our industry, in both in relation to encouraging flexible work as well as initiatives to enhance DNI more broadly. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode of The Hub, and we look forward to sharing more stories from across our industry with you soon. Yeah.